Hello, and welcome to Health and Fitness Redefined. I'm your host, Anthony Amen. Join me today as we take a dive into the world of health and wellness, where we learn how to overcome adversity, to pick the back first fiction, and see health and fitness in a whole new light. Guys, I have an amazing, an amazing guest for all of you today. I know in a lot of episodes, we've talked about what's a fat, what's a carb, what's a protein, but I don't think we've ever talked about how to cook healthy. So today's guest is a renowned chef. Let me tell you, this guy is awesome and knows his stuff. So I highly recommend you buckle your seatbelts in on this episode and get ready. And I'd like to introduce Chef Alan. Alan, welcome to the show, man. Pleasure to have you. Hey, Anthony. Great to be here. I am so excited to have you on today. I'm really excited to pick your brain when it comes to cooking. I, I know a lot of people, at least for in my field, they go and cook healthy and they just throw chicken on and then a little bit of rice and then some broccoli. And they're like, I ate chicken, broccoli and rice for seven straight days. And that gets really boring. And then they crave yeah. something more flavorful and they end up cheating. But I want to talk about all that stuff. But without further ado, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as far as what made you become a chef in the first place? Sure. So I'm a, I'm based in Boston. I own and operate AC Kitchen, which is a, a meal delivery service that goes from Boston to New York. Uh, we're building out a much bigger project that will reach Miami and, and New York and have its own location in New York City as well. Um, <clears throat> so as far as why did I become a chef? So high school, went to a trade school, um, chose culinary arts, not because I knew I wanted to be a chef, but because I loved food and I loved to eat. I was just a skinny, you know, football player that wanted to eat more and, you know, get bigger. Most like goals are, as most kids at that age. Um, <clears throat> and so that's why I got into it. I also knew that <clears throat> I could, I could get a job in, in the field. Um, started working really young in the business right around the same time as freshman year of high school, I started working in the food business. Um, still back then didn't know I wanted to be a chef, just knew that I could make some money you know, buy my own car, buy clothes that I wanted, that kind of thing. Um, and that's where it started. And then I just slowly started to listen to the chefs around me and become inspired. It wasn't until my first year of college, um, directly after high school, I went to culinary school, that I started to feel the passion for, for the arts of food. Um, before that, like I said, it was more of a job. It was like a, a job that could pay my bills. And, um, and so, and it was a lot of fun too. I had a lot of fun working in the business throughout high school. Um, but yeah, like I said, it wasn't until, you know, you take out those student loans and I started working in Boston at that time. And, um, then it became a lot more serious. I started to uh, realize that I was going to be a chef and this is, this was my path. I love it. So you, you started off, I guess, like most chefs do. I love food. <laughs> yep. I love yep. that answer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. And I totally get it. I think we had the same issue growing up where we were way too skinny, couldn't build muscle because we were too skinny and just had <laughs> to eat whatever was in front of our face. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So you started working in a restaurant, right? And you said in high school? I was actually in a a grocery store first, stocking okay. apples and taking the trash out. I was like 13. 
I started working at a fast food, fast casual place for the most part of high school. Then I, you know, go on to like a three-star hotel and then a four-star hotel and, uh, you know, private country club. I sort of worked my way up until <clears throat> I got to Boston and worked at some of the best places in the city. Um, but I bounced around quite a bit, I have to say. I'd have two or three jobs at the same time. Um, it was a workhorse back then. And I, I'm glad I did because I learned so much. Oh, yeah. I, c I can imagine kind of working your way up the chain of the different tiers of restaurants. And then what yep. inspired you to go and I know your company now is more of a meal company. What, in what inspired that shift? So I didn't plan on becoming a private chef <clears throat> in Miami. I uh, ended up getting a gig that brought me back to Boston um, with Tom and Giselle. Obviously, that's a big part of my story. So as a private chef, um, I started to see this demand that you know, people wanted prepared food in their fridge, ready to go. And what's out there is not, it's, you know, it's overly produced. It's, it's, um, it's not really chef curated. A lot of people that are developing these companies, they're not chefs. Uh, they're not even have ever worked in the food business. Um, they're just sort of slapping it together and it's sort of an insult to the industry because they're, they're, like I said, they're not chefs. Um, and so I, you know, I see not only is it what I want, you know, I want this food in my fridge, um, but I see a big demand for it. Um, a lot of the issues we have around dietary related disease are the options that we have at every, any given point. So if it's lunch or it's dinner for the family, you know, you have working parents at home trying to feed themselves and their children. Um, and a lot of times it's the last minute decision that ends up being not the healthiest. So, you know, that that's sort of what I've seen my whole life and more so over the past, you know, five, six, seven years. Um, and that's the, the demand I'm looking to fill. I think that's a perfect place to start and really dive into stuff, actually, is one point yeah. you mentioned was families now, uh, the mother and father, at least around us, are, are working. Yeah. And then they have kids. <clears throat> so they're coming home like 5, 6 p.m. They're exhausted from a day's work. The last thing they want to do is go in the cook kitchen and cook for an hour, an hour and a half to quickly right. eat, clean up, and go to bed. Right. So they usually choose those unhealthier options, like something quick, either yep. whether it's buying pre-made food or going out to eat and they can't afford the fancier restaurants every day. So it's mm. more or less just fast food or this. So in your experience, if somebody is kind of in that situation, they have kids, they're, they don't really press for times, what's some like quick options for them that they can do to eat better? So, I mean, for me, and I, I know that some, you know, some um, jobs are more demanding than others, right? So sometimes the parent will, have, you know, they're an entrepreneur, they're working seven days a week, but if they have a nine to five and they're working Monday through Friday, still have some time off, right? And for me, it's prioritizing the meal planning. So, and this is something that I obviously do, so I may be a bit biased because it's what I specialize in, but you know, you've got to prioritize the meal planning the same way you prioritize your retirement plan and your health insurance and, you know, even your education. Like you went to school to get an education so that you could provide for your family while the meal planning is also providing for your family. And we can't leave that out. It's, it's just as important, if not more important than, like I said, the health insurance, the retirement plan and the education 
three things that we prioritize. They're at the top of the list for most families. You know, th- those things are must must do in, in your life. And <clears throat> and the meal planning falls by the wayside because we're spoiled. We have we do have food options everywhere we go. You know, we're not living in a desert. Um, if we were, it would certainly be at the top of the list. So yeah, that that's my that's my thinking around it. We got to make the meal planning a priority as if we didn't have the luxury of just you know picking up the phone or going on an app uh, to get food in the house. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it is just planning ahead. <clears throat> I like that the planning ahead on your if you're busy Monday to Friday, you still Saturday and Sunday to prep out for the week. And I feel yeah. like most of the time with cooking, it's that's the hardest part is getting the stuff together, making sure you have all the right ingredients, cutting the veggies, uh, even yep. some stuff you can cook and keep <clears throat> in the fridge for extended periods of time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Making things in, in batches and freezing them and buying the right containers that you need. Um, and it's, you know, we have options. You can now have groceries delivered. You can buy vegetables that are pre-cut. Like there's a lot of things you can do to make it more efficient. Um, but, and you also just becoming your, a chef of your own kitchen, you know, because <clears throat> a lot of times people will have a palate for developed flavors, but they can't produce it on their own. And they just sort of throw in the towel and say, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to buy it instead. You know, I really like the flavor of that pad thai, but I don't know how to get it to taste like that. <laughs> so I'm just going to buy it, you know? Um, <clears throat> and so anyway, that, that's where the fun part comes in. Like learn to love the food that will love you back. That's one of the mottos that I embrace when i give talks and stuff like that it's um it's just diving in we don't all have to become a chef but we all like most of us love food we love flavor so learn how to develop those flavors and and dive into it um embrace it i'm sitting here laughing because i grew up in a very italian household so i know how to cook italian food but i have a palate for like persian greek yeah, uh, Indian food. I have no idea how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I mean, so Italian's just... going to set you up because luckily Italian's like the most popular cuisine in the United States. But it's still, like you said, you like other flavor profiles. So how do you kind of learn to pick those things up? Um, and luckily, there's YouTube videos, there's you know cookbooks, and there's all different ways to learn uh, different recipes. So mm-hmm. awesome. I, I want to pick a couple different. <clears throat> types of foods. And I yep. really want you to get your opinion about what you think with them, what you can do with them and kind of break it down that way. I think the first thing I want to start with is oils. Cause I think yep. it's the most misunderstood cooking out there. And I, I want you to explain it, but I want to just ask an additional question for myself on top of there, which yep. is when cooking with certain oils, don't they change from unsaturated to saturated fats at certain temperatures? This is yeah. your field, not mine. So explain that to us a little bit. Yeah. So when we're thinking about oils, I definitely have oils that I cook with and I have oils that I finish with, right? I love really good organic Greek olive oil. Um, it's a great finisher. So it's in almost every vinaigrette that I do. Um it's got to be organic. It's, it's, and also, I, I do appreciate the Greek olive oil. Um, they t- tend to be at the top of the list when it comes to rating olive oils around the world. Um, so for me, olive oil isn't the worst to cook with. It actually has a decent smoke point, but I don't cook with olive oil. I, I choose avocado oil or coconut oil. Um, 
they're fully saturated. They're gonna they're gonna hold up at a higher heat. What I stay away from is the seed oils. So seed oils, and especially like canola oil, isn't even a real you know that isn't even a real oil. Canola is not a plant. It's a, it's a made up um, genetically modified you know plant that we've not we but actually in Canada they've modified for human consumption this plant called rapeseed, which has a horrible name. They could never call it rapeseed oil. Um, but that's, you know, that's what it is. And, you know, you've got to just say it straight. And this, this plant was used mostly for mechanical reasons um, until they realized like it's really cheap to grow. We could mass produce this if we just slightly change it a little bit. So they genetically modify it. They call it canola, can, Canadian, C-A-N-O-L-A oil. Um, and here we are with this mass produced crap that's in everything because it's so cheap it's constantly being used to fry things and it's in all the processed food because it's really shelf stable and it's just horrible so the seed oils the canola oil not a fan of they're inflammatory um they're not natural and so i just stay away from those oils um and oil in general to be honest when we're talking about focusing on whole foods what I feel is what nature gave us to eat, which are whole foods that are found in, found in nature. That's what we should be focusing on. Oil isn't really part of that equation. You know, oil is, it's still processed, whether it's olive oil or, you know, avocado or coconut, it's not a whole food. Um, so although I do use oils, uh, they should never be the focus. They should always be in moderation because they are not found in nature. Um, it's a byproduct and it's, it's processed, even if it is a, high quality organic Greek olive oil, it's still not the whole olive. Um, so yeah, that, that's something to look at too. If it's not a whole food, it shouldn't be the focus of any, any dish. That's, I first of all had no idea what canola <laughs> oil was. So that information to me is brand new. Oh, that's great. And uh-huh. I love the point of eating whole foods because that's something that we've talked about a lot when it comes to difference between fruits and juices where fruits, you get yeah. the fiber and stuff. And even if you just squeeze an orange, it's still processed. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I absolutely love that. But oils, like it's when you're cooking and stuff, if let's say you want to go towards more of a healthier option, is there an alternative to cooking besides oils or should you just stick to certain types like you said avoid canola and seed what's yeah so i actually to help do, with that i'll use water to be honest so in my business and even at home and i've done a recipe recently with a local um media outlet we used water and when you have like let's say aromatics like onion carrot celery if you were to saute them in water their sugars would naturally develop and they would naturally caramelize so the end result is still this caramelized aromatic that will flavor your soup, whatever it might be. Um, you don't need the oil to bring out the flavor and ultimately the sugars in those vegetables. Um, obviously, when you're searing a piece, let's say you're searing a scallop or like um, you know a piece of meat, right? You're not going to be able to do that with oil. You need the fat to help get that sear that you're looking for that hard sear especially on like a scallop for example but with most vegetables just think about what you're trying to do you're trying to just bring out the natural sugars so that it will bring flavor to a dish and you don't need oil to do that with vegetables that that have sugar in them um so yeah water as simple as it is and it's obviously much less expensive and it's going to produce pretty much the same result the method is a little bit different you've got to watch it you've got to stir it you've got to 
you know, add the right amount of water to get it to the caramelization that you want. But uh, ultimately, you'll end up with the same result just using water. Wow, I had I didn't know that at all. Water, and that's I mean, you want to talk about saving money and how eating yeah. health, healthy isn't cheap. There you go, using water. That's the cheapest yeah. commodity we have. Yeah, try it. Try it. Do some carrot, onion, celery. You know the the mirepoix that we use in a lot of soups and and dishes. Um, that will caramelize up and bring the same flavor as if you had, you know, a few tablespoons of, of oil in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we just started and I feel like I've learned <laughs> so much information and my cooking has changed forever officially. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So uh, let's talk about the proteins. So uh, uh-huh. different types of meats we can cook with. <clears throat> I know in American diet, it's all about the beef. Everything yeah. is beef pushing beef pushing beef i want you to give your get your opinion on beef different types of proteins we can cook with and yep. kind of sticking <clears> towards <throat> your option so you know when i first started to develop this philosophy way back in 2010 2011 um i started to really focus on plants and i felt as though eating a more plant-based diet which never meant vegan eating a more plant-based diet was not only better for human health, but also better for the planet. And that made a lot of sense to me. That's what really resonated with me. And that's what I've stuck with all the way through. Um, and when it comes to protein, you know, we got to think about amino acids and essential amino acids that the body doesn't make that we need to be consuming. Um, and meat is a, a quick option because it's flesh, right? It's closest to what we are. Um, and it has all of those amino acids that we need. But it's not the only thing, you know, plants are not um, are not like meat where most of them don't have all of those amino acids, but some of them do. So quinoa, amaranth, millet, for example, some superfoods will carry all amino acids. Some of the bee, you know, bee pollen and things like that will have it, um, spirulina. But, you know, we've got to look at, you know, you just, so the first thing you said was protein and then you immediately went to meat. So when I think of protein, I think of, all of those, all of those things that have amino acids, all of those whole foods, right? And then I think from a chef standpoint, what's delicious and what people like and um, what's more approachable is most of the time meat. Um, but going back to my philosophy that that you know believes that a more plant-based diet, which I you know flexitarian is technically the term, um, means that there won't be meat in every dish um, for many reasons. So. You know, when it comes to meat, like beef, for example, beef is probably most consumed. And unfortunately, a lot of that is most likely conventional meat, which is very unhealthy and, and not good for the body. Causes inflammation can be directly related to cancer growth. Um, <clears throat> we've got to look at grass fed meat. So grass fed organic meat, beef is definitely the way to go. Um, but in small quantities, should not be eating grass fed organic beef every day. Not only is it not good for health, but also it's not good for the planet. You know, grazing cows on grass, imagine we grazed every cow that we raised on grass, we wouldn't, wouldn't have any land. So that tells me that like, we need to consume less animal protein, just the right type of animal protein, um, and then focus on those other amino acid sources like plants, like I said, the, the whole grains and, and even the plants that don't have all nine essential amino acids, when you combine them like rice and beans, for example, they now do. So 
you know, a wide variety of plants will supplement um, those amino acids when you're not eating all that animal protein. <clears throat> I, I want to talk about two quick things that you mentioned in there. The yeah. first one was the cows and how they're not good for the planet. And I don't know if yeah. you know this, you probably do, but most of carbon emissions actually come from cows because the gas they excrete. Yeah, exactly. Which is really bad for the planet. That's I, when I say most, I mean it's a very. I don't want to give a number because people are like, "You're wrong by a couple percentages," but it's yeah. high. <laughs> yeah, very, very high. And, and then the other point. No, go for it. Sorry. I was going to say it's it's the ones that are, you know, they're they're not raised in a humane way, right? They're slammed together in these massive barns side by side. They're not grazing. They're not living naturally, and it's those really dense um population of cows in one place not only the manure and the what they're the runoff that comes from those cows but then the you know what it does to the atmosphere like so it's it's bad for the ocean bad for the uh atmosphere it's like right there both of those things so every time you eat conventional meat that's what you're contributing to in my opinion i i, I like that a lot and the <laughs> next point which is kind of related where you're talking about having different options as far as the essential and non-essential amino acids is making sure that even if you're having some kind of veggie, there's yep. always a partner veggie to it to help yep. get that complete protein because your body needs the complete protein to use it. So right. you mentioned rice and beans. Any other ones you know off the top of your head? Uh, so most nuts combined with the grains, it's, it's funny. They, some will just be off by one. Um, so it's most of the time the nut will have the missing amino acid that the grain doesn't have. Um, but it's usually like right down the list. If you put, you know, all the different beans, all the different grains and all the different nuts, if you put them in rows, you can mix match across the board. Most of them things. Um, it's uh yeah, it's just having a wide variety of, of grain, whole grains, legumes, nut seeds. And also I want to point out, they've got to be prepared the right way. So you can't just, you know, this is something I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too far because it's, it's complex to some, but soaking and sprouting these grains and, and beans are, is very important to me. So, um, you know, making them more easily digestible and making those nutrients more easily assimilated in the body. So if you just take, you know, black beans off the shelf and cook them, most likely you're going to feel bloated and most likely you haven't broken down that phytic acid, the anti-nutrients that is built into the plant to um, actually harm whatever eats it. Right. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with any of this. Am I, am I going way off the way off? No, no, no. This is good because there's a lot of stuff like this exact thing that I don't know. And a lot of people don't know. I want you to continue on this. It's very interesting. Yeah. So this is not something that's new, certainly not something I made up. In fact, it's ancient, right? So way back when our ancestors knew that they had to ferment and soak and sprout all of their grains and beans. They all did it back then. If you look back in cultures way back when, they all did this. They did it with wheat. They did it with grains. They did it with beans. They did it with oats. Sometimes it was a very long fermentation process before they ate it. They were more intuitive back then. You know, they were living off the land. They listened to their bodies in a way that we don't listen to our bodies today. So when they ate something and it made them feel bloated, they didn't just deal with it. They went back to the source of that bloating and they, they figured it out. 
Um, and what happened with processed food is that we skipped that step. So we just went right from, you know, milling to making bread. We skipped that whole process. So when it comes to bread, you know, sprouting and fermenting the, the grains to make the bread first, that's what makes it a lot more easily digestible. Um, and will not produce the same inflammation that the bread does today. Um, and the same with, with rice and beans. So plants, you know, mother nature gave plants a fighting chance, just like mother nature gave an animal teeth and, and, and fangs and the ability to run. And so we look at a plant, we think it's an innocent, you know, helpless thing that grows and it's just open game, right? We can just eat it if we want to, cause it's just there. It can't fight back. But if you look under the surface, those plants are built with mechanisms far more complex than any, you know, any animal or mammal that has a nervous system, right? So they have anti-nutrients built into them that they can basically turn off and turn on. It's, it's really fascinating, actually. So plants, the anti-nutrients in plants are built so that mostly their seeds make the mammal bloated especially mammals that only have one stomach, right? They don't have that second or third stomach the way that some animals do, right? Us humans, we don't have it. We don't have a stomach that ferments the grain before it gets digested. We just eat it and it gets digested, right? Some animals do. Some, some animals have a digestive system that holds on to the grains, lets them ferment inside their own body and then digest them. Like we don't have that, that luxury that some animals do. So what that tells me is that we need to ferment those grains and beans or, you know, sprout roast before we consume them. Because if we don't, that's when we have the bloating. That's when it actually pulls nutrients through, you know, from our body. It actually strips us of the nutrients that we need because that's what it's doing to survive. The plant doesn't want us to, to live. It wants to live itself, right? And when it wants us to spread a seed, the seed will become indigestible so that when we you know, poop out that seed down the road, we then, you know, help that plant spread its seed. So the plants actually have, like I said, just as much of a fighting chance as any animal that has visible teeth and claws to fight and, you know, produce offspring, if that makes any sense at all. No, no, <laughs> I, I'm thinking in my head, I uh, think it's something like only, we only eat 10% of the plants out there that we can even only consume. The rest yeah. are toxic. So it's yep. totally true what you're saying is that the plants need some kind of mechanism to help them survive. And a lot of them do. I just, I want to really make it, this might be so basic for you, but yeah. I think it's for myself and the listeners, it will help. Mm -hmm. What is sprouting and fermenting? Like, how would you do that? <laughs> yeah. So you can buy sprouted, you know, sprouted grains, sprouted beans, any health store is going to have these things. They're super expensive because the process takes a long time. Right. But you can buy this is a pretty mainstream brand that you'll find at the major health stores. Right. That have sprouted quinoa, sprouted rice. <clears throat> and that saves you that step. Right. Um, but you could just soak these. So grains would be soaked at room temperature with a little bit of apple cider vinegar that helps make the water acidulated. That helps break down those lectins and phytic acid. Um, not completely, but a good a good part of it will be broken down. You could do it overnight. You could do it for four or five hours. Um, and then when you cook it, not only does it cook a lot quicker, but now it's going to be a lot more easily digestible and the nutrients will be more easily assimilated. Um, 
And then with beans like black beans and azuki beans and lentils, it would be boiling water on top. You would soak them overnight. You have a good amount of water because they will expand with a little bit of apple cider vinegar and then soak them for as long as 48 hours if you can. And then you, you know, you cook them really well. They should be really, really tender by the time you eat them. Um, there's other ways to throw in like a piece of kombu, um, a little bit of, you know, baking soda. These things are going to help break down those phytic acids. Um, put them in the pressure cooker if you'd like. Uh, but you've got to look at breaking down the grains and beans the same way that you broke down that animal. Um, yeah, if that helps at all. So looking at plants the same way, they got to be broken down. Is this the same for rice? Because I know when you cook rice, you just measure it, put water, make a boiling measurement of rice and pour it in. Or do you, yeah. should you pre-soak it before doing that process? So white rice has already been stripped of that germ. So white rice doesn't actually have the, the phytic acid and lectin. It's been stripped away. What you have now, the downside of the white rice is that it's a, it's a simple carb now. So it can cause that insulin spike. I'm not a big advocate, especially people that are prone to obesity or they're overweight, you know, dealing with things like that. So white rice, if you're going to eat white rice, which you don't have to soak or sprout it, like I said, that's been removed. A um, little bit of coconut oil at the end will help with the resistant starch. When you eat it, it won't cause such a, such a spike in insulin. Um, but with the brown rice, yes, you've got to soak it the same way. A little bit of apple cider vinegar, room temperature water, overnight if you can, um, and that will help break it down. That's so intriguing. I, mm -hmm. I, I didn't know any of this. <laughs> I, I knew about like phytonutrients. I knew about how foods with insulin responses, but no one ever teaches you that you need to soak it 24 to 48 hours later. You never learn that anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's, it's really, if you look into Ayurveda and Chinese medicine and like these ancient cultures, that's where it's just so non-American to do this, right? We grew up in a culture, generations of, of just buying it off the shelf and cooking it. Like this is just how we've been living for so long, but we have a serious eating problem. We have a serious dietary related disease problem. We've got to look at what we did. Like, what the hell did we do to get here? And that's a big part of it. It's a huge part of it. The processed food, the, the um, not cooking foods the right way. Like, there's a lot of things that we can change to turn it around. We're not past the point of turning this around. We can turn this around. Um, we don't have to get out. We don't have to let our food be to our demise because that's the, that's the path that we're headed right now. Um, and this is just one step in that direction to help help turn that around i i totally agree and i i really love that i kind of just want to start closing this out and ask you the same two questions yeah i ask everybody which is yeah. what's a take-home message you can give to our listeners there's one piece of advice you're saying after listening to this whole episode this is what you should know what can you give to us so you've got to make at the end of the day you know sprouting this and you know, amino acids and like, it could be overwhelming, right? It's, this has to be enjoyable. Like if you're not enjoying the food that's on your plate, you physically will not absorb those nutrients, right? It, it's, 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 it, that's, that's science. If you're in a stressed out spot when you're eating, if you're not enjoying that food, you literally won't absorb the nutrients. So you've got to make this food delicious. And if that means 
having a shift in culture, having a shift in the mindset around what is celebratory at that celebratory meal, whether it's a birthday or Christmas, um, introducing new foods that are part of that culture that you live in that's so embedded in literally in your DNA, that's what it becomes about. You've got to enjoy the food that's going to love you back. You really embrace it, embrace it for the nutrients. It's going to take a while um, to have that shift, but it's got to be enjoyable. You've got to love that food on the plate. It can't just be like, I'm woofing this down because it's good for me and I'm soaking that rice because it's, you know, you've got to learn to embrace it. Um, that That's a big part of it too. I love that. You got to enjoy the foods you're eating. I, that's end of the day. That's all that matters. Yeah. I love that. And the last question, Alan, probably the easiest one for you to answer is where can people get a hold of you? Where can they find you? And just talk a little bit more about what your company and what you guys are doing. Yeah, so my website is alancampbell.com. Uh, that's where you can find my meal delivery service. I've got some recipes there. I, I do chef placement. I do some other consulting services. And then my Instagram is Chef Alan Campbell. Um, I'll post, you know, I'll do some recipes there, some videos, some cooking videos, stuff like that. Um, and AC Kitchen is my meal service, small batch, organic. Um, we adopted all of these philosophies I talked about in my business, which makes us pretty unique. We also follow different dietary protocols. Um, we can we customize our menus according to the dietary needs of our clients, which you know keeps us small batch. It's it's not something that's going to be for everyone. Um, but we go from Boston to Manhattan uh, Sundays and Wednesdays. I love it, guys. And the website is alancampbell.com. Highly recommend you check this guy out because I mean, just talking to you now, I've learned so much information that I don't even know when I'm in the field. So <laughs> I, I really, really appreciate you coming on today. It, it means the world to all of us. And thank you guys for joining us on this week's episode of Health and Fitness Redefined. Don't forget, subscribe to our show and join us next week as we dive deeper into this ever-changing field. And remember, fitness is a journey, not a destination. Thanks for coming on, Alan. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Anthony. Great to be here. For us, we know what it's like to feel unhealthy, depressed, and downright defeated. We want to show others there is a right way. And through fitness, you could do anything you set your mind to. Fitness can give you that motivation, confidence, energy you need to bridge that mental gap and prevent you from missing important life events. We understand it's about feeling better, living longer, and being good examples for our kids. We understand this because we live it. And for us, that's the redefined difference.